Well, good morning again. As we wrap up our series on Stranger Things, I figure it's only fitting to close out with the final strange thing that Jesus Christ said before he went to heaven. And so we're finishing out with Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, as we talk about this last strange thing Jesus said. So let's see what he said. Jesus said to all of his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. That's it. One verse this morning. That's all we got. It makes you wonder how we can talk about this for 35 minutes, but we will because it's what they pay me to do. Also, because this one verse has caused more confusion and distress for the last 2,000 years than anything you might think of. You see, because those early followers, they took this passage, this moment that Jesus said, and they ran with it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, some crazy and strange and baffling things started to happen. For example, the fire alarm went off. Okay, that wasn't the fire alarm, good. Uh, No, these are the things that started to happen is you saw someone like Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, would speak in gibberish language tongues as part of their worship experience. Uh, And people would stand around and interpret it as words from God. Or Peter would be walking through the streets uh, and in the power of the Holy Spirit would heal crippled beggars on the spot. Or or he would even read people's minds and, and know the truth and actually strike people dead for lying to God. Or you had Philip, who was one of the early deacons, who the Holy Spirit would transport around to all sorts of random places to evangelize and tell the good news of Jesus. And then not only that, later on in his life, when he raised his family, he had four grown daughters who were all prophetesses and and spoke prophetic wisdom and future telling. Uh, Now think about it this way. It's hard enough to be in a house where there's one woman who always knows the right answer. Imagine being in a house with four. Uh, It's some crazy, weird stuff. And it forces me to ask myself this question, do I actually want my Christian life, my Christian community to look the way it looked in Acts? Do I want the Holy Spirit power to act in all these funky and strange and disconcerting ways, or would I rather not have that? And I think about modern day stories where someone like Beth Moore, who's a Bible teacher, uh, shares about a time she was in a public airport and the Holy Spirit prompted her to walk over to a man in a wheelchair and brush his hair for him. And she says, no, thank you. That, that's, that's weird and, and awkward and, and I don't want to do that. But of course, you know, she had to respond. And so she did it and amazing things happened in the name of God that day. But, but who here actually wants God to put them on the spot in public places to do embarrassing things like that? Or even I was a member at a church out in Washington State for a while where they took this whole spirit power thing very seriously. And every church service ended with prophetic prayer. And people would would receive prophecy. They'd be healed of diseases. It was not uncommon for casting out of demons to happen, like right there at one o'clock in the afternoon on a church service. You'd be standing there. The people would line up, and it would take an hour to get through all the people lined up for prayer. And while you're standing there over there in the corner, someone's getting a demon cast out, and someone else is getting you know healing prayed over them. It was weird and strange, and and I don't know how comfortable we'd be if we started that ministry here at St. John next week. That that'd be that'd be awkward. Or even uh, at a more prosaic level, something I've noticed since I've been here uh, is when I was in Colorado, when you go jogging or when you go hiking and you pass people, a fairly what I thought normal thing happens, which is this. You'd pass someone on a trail and as they walk towards you, they'd kind of make eye contact and they'd nod and say, what's up? And then you keep going. 
Maybe you'd say good morning if you want to be really polite. But what I've noticed here, uh, since we've been in St. Louis, I, I've started calling it the St. Louis gaze, uh, which is that as I, when I go out jogging in the morning, as I pass someone and, and they get close to me, suddenly there's something really interesting over there that they look at the whole way until I'm safely out of their peripheral vision. Because it's too awkward to actually acknowledge someone. And then knowing that, think of how awkward it is when our church engages in something like a neighborhood prayer walk weekend. I felt so bad. Our group was out prayer walking. And as we walked, and there were like 30 of us that ended up with all the kids uh, doing our prayer walk weekend a, a few weeks ago. And we walked by and there was a guy refinishing his driveway. And all he knows is it's Sunday morning and he's just trying to refinish his driveway. And now here comes a band of like 15 adults and 15 kids and we're prayer walking. And that poor man made no eye contact with us at all while we walked three feet away from him. And on the one hand, I wanted to say, hey, can we pray for you? But on the other hand, I wanted to take pity on him and, and not make it any worse for him than it already was. Do we really want this Holy Spirit craziness in our lives? And is there a reason why we have forgotten about this person of God uh, in the way we run our church and our community? And so just to be real straight with you guys, as I self-examine, I realize that I am functionally two-thirds of a Christian. Two-thirds. Because basically I like two-thirds of God and I'm okay with it. There's one-third of God that I would just as soon forget. Right? If God's talking to me and he says, I'm, I'm God the Father, I made the entire cosmos and I made you in my image and I love you so much. And I say, thanks God, you're the best. Right? Or he says to me, I came down to earth to conquer death for you. I love you so much that I sacrificed myself for you and now I'm your Lord and I want you to do what I say. And I'm like, that's only fair, sounds good, I'm in. All right? And then God says, I want to live inside of you and guide every decision you make. And I say, time out. I'm not into that. that. It's weird, it's messy, and I don't love it. And, and were it up to me, I'd frankly just forget about that whole third of God and just stick with the ones that are a little more comfortable, make a little more sense. But unfortunately, the, the Bible doesn't really leave us that option. Jesus, in the last command that he gave to his disciples, call it the Great Commission, uh, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He's given equal eminence to the other two persons of the Trinity. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is just as important. And that isn't something new that Jesus did. It wasn't like he made that up. If you go all the way back to the very first verse in the Bible, the creation story, we don't always catch this, but in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. But who was there? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The, the trinity of God is an eternal reality. It's, it's not something new, and it's certainly not something we can ignore. And if you look at the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is mentioned almost 300 times in the New Testament. In the book of Acts alone, which is the story of the early Christians and all the events that happened in early church life, the Holy Spirit is mentioned almost as many times as Jesus Christ. They, they're given almost same value in terms of number of times they're brought up. And yet, if you were a human being who grew up never exposed to civilizations on a desert island somewhere, and you had read the New Testament from front to back, and you'd gotten this picture of how God wants his church and his people to run and act and move, and then you were brought to the United States, you were brought to St. John, and you compared what you saw of Christian life to what you read in the Bible, it would not look the same. There's a discrepancy there. 
And so we've got to figure out what is going on. Why does our life look differently now than, than it looked for the early believers? And then how should it look different or what should we be willing to live differently? And there are a few theories about why that is, why the Holy Spirit is, is you know, more powerful then and not now. And one theory, which I don't agree with, but one theory is that uh, God used to work in miraculous ways, but he doesn't really work that way anymore. Um, it's just not the right time. But, but I push back on that because the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His nature and his power does not change. Not only that, if you look at the Christian world around the world, if you look at Christian communities in global environments, the Holy Spirit does actually still work that way. There are still healings and miracles and things happening in Christian communities around the world. It's just not here in the United States. So there's something else going on there. Or there are people who say, well, the Holy Spirit works, but he works in two specific ways, baptism and communion. And those are the only ways that the, Holy Spirit, that the Bible explicitly promises that the Holy Spirit is going to work. And so we should just settle for that. We should receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, receive his power in communion uh, and the presence of Christ. And, and, and to ask for more would be greedy. Why, why would you even do that? Why, why would you ask for more than what God has already given you through the sacraments, through baptism and communion? But again, I look and I say the picture, they had baptism and communion back then, but they had so much more as well. So here's my theory as to why I think there's a difference between what we see in the New Testament and in Acts and what we see in Christian life now. And my theory is this, that we as Christians are like hybrid engines. We can function just like a hybrid engine can, can work on gas or on electricity, but not both at the same time. It switches between them. Depending on the situation, it'll run on either gas or electricity. For us as Christians, our two possible power sources are Holy Spirit power, what we just read about, or cultural clout, our ability to, to wage influence on the world around us through human means and cultural power. And so here's a, a chart of human Christian interaction starting from the crucifixion moving forward, all right? So at the time of the crucifixion and the resurrection, Holy Spirit power was amazing. And it's all the stuff I've already mentioned. There was healings and casting out of demons and, and prophesying and all this stuff was happening. Cultural power was virtually zero. You got thrown into a den with lions uh, if you were a Christian. There was no cultural respectability or credibility for being a Christian. And yet what happened was after a few decades of Holy Spirit power and people healing and being forces for good and love and mercy through the supernatural power, our cultural power started to increase. People started to look at these Christians and say, maybe I want some of that. Maybe, in fact, this is a, a good thing to be. And our respectability increased, our influence in the culture increased, until right about here, 313, was the Edict of Milan, where suddenly the Roman Empire said, you know what, it's not illegal to be a Christian anymore. We're not going to throw you in the lion, to the lions anymore. Uh, you can be a Christian, it's fine. You're right out there. And then the real key point was 380 AD, the Edict of Thessalonica, which is where the Roman Empire, the, the, the greatest bastion of civilization that, that we've known that spanned the globe, they said in 380 AD, it is now in fact required by law to be a Christian. The only legal religion in the Roman Empire is Christianity, and we achieved peak cultural power. But then what happened? See, because here's the thing, it's really great to not get thrown to the lions for believing in God. 
In fact, it's even nicer to not just not get thrown with the lions, but now they let you actually have seats in the government and they let you pass laws. Uh, And now you can use your cultural influence to run the Christian life. But if you're doing that, you don't necessarily want to keep doing the weird stuff. You don't want to have to rely on spiritual power that looks messy, it's unpredictable. Sometimes you heal people, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you talk in tongues, sometimes you don't. And if I have the option, I'm going to be real grateful that I can just wield my cultural power and influence and not have to rely on this messy, unpredictable, uncontrollable power of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us now to our country, United States, today. So let's, let's map this on the United States. So 1776, we started here. Christianity had strong cultural influence at that time. Their doctrine was a little questionable, but it was at least Christianly, uh, you know, Christian and culturally very powerful. No Holy Spirit power required for that. And then as we go on, like, there was kind of a dip of Christian influence in the 1800s, and, and then we kind of got back up. And then right here is the 1950s, uh, is where Christian uh, cultural influence and power peaked in this country, is in the 1950s, right? And now I've got really great news for you this morning. Here's the great news. It's done nothing but decline ever since then. Isn't that great? No? Not? Okay. Well, let let me explain. Here's why I think this is great. Because what happens when cultural power declines? You see it? Right, right. If we're a hybrid engine that functions on one or the other because one is a little easier to control and one isn't, if our cultural power declines, suddenly maybe our Holy Spirit power will increase. I'll give you an example of this from when I was growing up. The, the big thing uh, at that time was prayer in schools. They were starting to pass laws that said you couldn't pray in schools. And, and many of my friends and, and at my church were, were very upset and disturbed by this. And I was celebrating because I was saying, I've been teaching junior high confirmation. It's really hard to get them to take faith seriously. But you know what would? Tell them they can't pray in school. Then see what happens. You forbid something to a teenager, suddenly it's important, suddenly it's valuable. The, the more that it, it, it's spoon-fed us and it's easy because we have such cultural influence and power, the less seriously we take it and for sure the less we rely on Holy Spirit power. But if we're willing to let our cultural power decline, then maybe our Holy Spirit power can ramp up and we can actually rely on the fuel source we, that God intended for us to have. But I want to also be real here. For all that I think it's a really good thing that cultural power declines because it forces us to rely on the Holy Spirit, it's also a very perilous moment for us as believers. Because what happens is when you've had power in a certain way for so long, you forget that power is a means to an end that the reason any sort of power, cultural power, Holy Spirit power matters is to accomplish the goals that God has for us, to live better lives, to be more impactful witnesses to the earth. And that's where Jesus started this this morning, that the Holy Spirit power comes on us. Why? So we could be his witnesses through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Power is only important as far as it helps us accomplish our stated objective, which is to witness to the world. But when you've had power for as long as we have cultural power, you forget that it was actually for something and defending the cultural power at all costs becomes the goal. The power becomes the idol. And when that happens, it metastasizes from something that was useful for the goals that God has given us to now it becomes a cancer 
It becomes something toxic that we're gonna defend and protect at all costs. And we might win those battles. We might, we might uh, explain away or ignore the moral failings of our politicians or our Supreme Court justices because at least they promise that they'll protect our cultural power. And we'll win that battle. And maybe we'll stem the decline of our cultural power for a little bit longer. But you know who we lose? The next generation. We lose the hurting and the lost, the people who need to hear and see Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit the most. But it's a hard thing to give up. Karl Barth is considered the greatest reformed theologian of the 20th century, and he said this, when we are at our wit's end for an answer, then the Holy Spirit can give us an answer. But how can he give us an answer when we are still well supplied with all sorts of answers of our own? See, Karl Barth is summarizing that chart that I showed you, that as long as we have access to any other answer, as long as I can depend on any power of mine, I will use that, and I will not settle or rely on the Holy Spirit's power. I don't want an answer. And in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is standing back saying, I could help, I can be here, I can answer this, I can give you my power, and we're saying, no, we got this. As long as we have cultural power, we will rely on that before we ever go to the Holy Spirit. And again, I get why. It's much safer. It's much more predictable. It's much more under our control. And to try and give up cultural power in the hopes that the Holy Spirit power will increase and ramp up for us, that is scary. I don't want to do it. It's like going out in the ocean and, and surrendering to the waves and, and hoping that somehow or another Christ is going to show up, that the Holy Spirit power is going to be there. We, we'd rather be in a good, safe boat that we know how it works and, and we, we know how we can keep ourselves afloat. And so for me, trying to wrestle with what it would look like to actually let the Holy Spirit live in power in my heart, in my life, it feels like what it would be like trying to learn how to surf, like this guy. I'm going to be your instincts. Kunu will be your instincts. Don't do anything. Don't try to surf. Don't do it. The less you do, the more you do. Let's see it pop up. Pop it up. That's not it at all. Do less. Get down. Try less. Do it again. Pop up. Nope. Too slow. Do less. Pop up. Pop up. Too, you're doing too much. Do less. Pop down. Pop up now. Stop. Get down. Get down there. Remember, don't do anything. Nothing. Pop up. Well, you no, you got to do more than that because you're just laying. You, that looks like you're boogie boarding. Just do it. Feel it. Pop up. Yeah, that wasn't quite it, but we're gonna figure it out out there. Let's go surfing. Come on. Everybody's learning how. Come on. Uh, the weather out. All right, when, when it comes to asking for and trying to receive Holy Spirit power in our life, I, I just don't, there's no program, there's no way to control it. And we're in the position of this guy that's saying, do less, but, but we're like, I still have to surf somehow. I still have to navigate the waves somehow. And, and for someone to tell me, do less, do less, you know, like strive for less. Don't try and have cultural power. Don't try to control it. It, it feels like an oxymoron and I don't know how to do it. It's a paradox that's, that I just don't know how to make it work. But if we are willing to sacrifice our own power, working in our own strength and capacity, I really do think that the Holy Spirit can and will show up because there are some promises that he has made. And so even though I don't necessarily know how to do less, 
I can at least paint a picture for what I think the Holy Spirit would love to do in our lives if we could surrender and do less. So let's look at a couple of these. So in these strange gifts of the Holy Spirit, the first one is if we do less, that that he gives us adoption into the family of God. Uh, We're actually not outsiders anymore. We're included. We're part of the family. Uh, And and here's the verse that talks about it. Peter says in Acts uh, to a group of people, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, unlike cultural power or any earthly power that we have to control and strive for and earn and master and figure out, the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's given freely to us. And how? Peter covers that as well. Through baptism. So that if you are sitting here this morning and you have been baptized, I've got great news for you. You've got the Holy Spirit in you already. You've got this divine power source in you, primed, ready to go. You don't have to do a thing to go out and get it. It is there and it is in your heart if you've been baptized. And if you have not been baptized, come talk to me about it. Or come back next week at our inspired service. We'll baptize you right up here. No, you know, no, no long story or prerequisites or you're having to prove anything. We'll just baptize you right up here. Get that gift of the Holy Spirit that God wants you to have so powerfully. And maybe you were baptized a long time ago or your life's taken some twists and turns since then. You're not sure whether you've, you've kind of quenched the Holy Spirit in you. So I've got one more great litmus test for you. If you're sitting here wondering whether you really have access to this divine power of the Holy Spirit, here's the test. And it's not speaking in tongues, uh, which is what a lot of people thought it was for a long time. It's so much simpler than that. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. But not only that, no one can even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What what, what he's saying here is the fact that you're here this morning, the fact that you made a choice, that you wanted to walk through these doors, you wanted to live in this community of faith, you wanted to try insofar as it's in your power to serve and revere Jesus Christ and God, you couldn't have done it if the Holy Spirit wasn't in you. There was nothing in you without the Holy Spirit that would have made that choice. And the fact that you're sitting here this morning, the fact that you've gotten here, tells me that the Holy Spirit is in your life, in your heart, ready to do amazing things if you would just let him. And what are those amazing things? Well, let's, let's keep going. So here's another gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that once he's in our heart, once we've been adopted into the family of God and the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift, we now get to experience closeness with God in a way that would have been impossible otherwise. See, for all that I'm more comfortable being two-thirds of a Christian, the fact is, if all I have is God the Father, God the Father, he made everything, but now where is he? He's transcendent, he's remote, he's distant, he's up in heaven where he dwells. He's not down here in the trenches with me, with us. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, uh, 2,000 years ago, he was on the earth and he was walking with people and he was present and close and intimate with them. But then after his conquering death on the cross, where did he go? Well, it says he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. So, so he's gone now too. And if we only have these two parts of the Trinity, then God is remote. God is alien. God is not with us anymore. Well, let's see what scripture has to say about this. When Jesus was getting ready to leave and ascend into heaven, he said this to his followers. He said, and when I leave, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now 
and later will be in you. So let's unpack this. Jesus is talking about his own spirit. If Jesus is God, then his spirit is the Holy Spirit. And when he says the spirit is with you now, he meant with me in Jesus because I'm physically with you. The Holy Spirit is with you now. But later, when Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit's gonna not just be with you, next to you, he's gonna be in you. And that's the promise from that day to this is that Jesus is saying, as far as I am, as far as, the Holy, as God the Father is, uh, as far as I'm seated at the right hand of God, my Holy Spirit is in you, will never leave you, and it is as intimate and close as you can imagine. And as we're going through the trenches of life, as we're trying to figure out struggles and the messiness and all the junk that life can throw at us, God is not distant cheering us on from afar. He's right there with us inside our hearts saying, I got this if you would just just let me. I'm with you because I love you and I am that close and intimate to you. The power of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus that that would have stayed constrained to him while he was on the earth is now diffused throughout the entire globe. Seven billion people have access to an intimate relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's amazing. And that, that changes God from being someone who, who's angry or judgmental or, 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 or stern. And it changes him to someone who's right there with me, loving me, supporting me, and then ultimately giving me his power if I'm willing to take it. Because then here's the next step. If, we, if we're willing to, to recognize and receive those first two gifts, then here's the next gift that the Holy Spirit offers us is transformation. And transformation can be a scary word but, but, because it's kind of a double-edged sword, but, but here's the thing. I know that deep down inside, we all want it. We all want to be better than we were the day before. I partly know that because the most popular demographic, uh, genre of book right now is self-help and professional development. People love those books because they want to be better. They want to be transformed. They want to be more efficient. They want to be more productive. They want to be more successful. They want to be more wealthy. They want to have all these more things. But what if transformation could be even more than those things? And not something that you had to earn through your own striving or self-development or professional growth. But what if it was something that was given to you as a gift? See, here's what Paul says to the believers in 2 Corinthians. He says, and we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit actually becomes this power of transformation. And what is he transforming us into? The image of Jesus Christ himself. See, what if instead of waking up every day and trying to be more productive, more efficient, more wealthy, more successful, what, what if we surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And we said, Holy Spirit, conquer me. Conquer whatever is in me, the, my worst desires, my, 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 my cheapest laziness, all, all the things that keep me from being transformed into who I want to be. What if I just surrendered that to you and invited you to come into my heart in power, not just in closeness and adoption, but in transformational power? And then every morning I woke up and I'm more loving than I was the day before. Or I'm more peaceful than I used to be. Or I have more joy in my life. I'm more patient with my kids, my coworkers. People look at me and they say, boy, you're more kind and gentle than you ever used to be. And and I'm marked by a self-control that seems supernatural at times. See, that's transformation that is freely offered to each and every one of us. 
And we don't have to strive it or earn it. We simply have to surrender to the power of God. And I tell you, I've seen it. In fact, at that church in Washington that I was at, I witnessed a friend who was screamed at and yelled at by a person, called them the most awful names, was reaching out to them with hate and anger and cursing. And I watched my friend just receive it. And I'm on his behalf. I'm just, I'm angry. I'm heightened. I'm like, can I step in? Let me know if I'm ready to step in. Like, this is a moment. Like, I'm here. I'm going to deck the guy. And I watched my friend turn, convert all of this anger and hate and outrage and turn it into compassion and love and grace towards the very person who is screaming awful things at them. And in that moment, I realized it might not be a loaves and fishes miracle, but I'm watching something miraculous happen. I'm watching someone convert all of the worst energy in the world and they're turning it into something divine and life-giving. And I also saw how it took this person who a moment before had been screaming and angry and I thought was ready for physical violence and deflated everything ugly in them and started something new. And when I saw that in this person who was at a church that takes Holy Spirit power very seriously, I knew that there was something there that I hadn't grasped before. Because human power and control says, that's not what you do there. You gotta stand up for your respect. You gotta stand up for yourself. You gotta defend, you gotta protect. And this person through this transformative power of the Holy Spirit changed that entire dynamic. And it was amazing. And, and here's the promise there. If we're willing to surrender to that kind of transformation, then actually we're given something even more powerful than, and, and, and influential than that. We're given the opportunity for impact. See, here's the thing. If, if I just want to be a respectable, good citizen Christian, you know, two-thirds of a Christian, that's great, and I can, I can do that, and I can be respectable. I don't have to do anything embarrassing, but if I actually want to make the kind of impact that, that drives me, then I've got to start relying on something besides my own human power. And I think that's true for all of us. I don't think any of us are sitting here saying, I just kind of want to live a good, quiet life and, and take care of me and mine. I, I think we want to have an impact. I think we all want to make a difference in the world. And if we do, then we've got to explore this dynamic between human power and spiritual power because otherwise I don't think we can make the impact that we would like. And that's not just my opinion. I actually am going to submit to you the opinion of the president of our denomination. President Harrison said this about the Lutheran Church uh, in his uh, board circuit meeting two years ago in his kind of State of the Union address. He was talking about how... uh, church membership numbers are declining. He said, noting that it is now more clear than ever how our country's birth rate has affected dwindling membership numbers. He made clear that even if our synod's outreach could be increased, even if we could get better at evangelizing and outreaching, if we could increase it to the level of the Mormons, because those people know how to evangelize, um, who experience the most success among religious groups and church bodies, this would only stem our synod's decline. President Harrison went on to say that this does not say that evangelism is unimportant. We should still do it. But barring a national revival, we still will not be able, humanly speaking, to evangelize our synod out of its decline. He's looking at that chart I showed you. And he says, there's nothing we can do about it. We could have more babies, and that wouldn't do it. We could actually try to evangelize, not going to do it. There is nothing we can do, humanly speaking, 
to stem the decline of our cultural power and impact on this country. And he says that's bad news, and I say, yay! (laughs) Because maybe, just maybe, if we can't do it, if we admit that our human power is no longer sufficient, maybe we'll actually rely on God. Maybe we'll let the Holy Spirit come out in powerful ways. And instead of clinging to something that's dying, we would look for God to bring something new to life. Maybe if we want to make an impact, we would go back to what Jesus himself said at the beginning of this message. That where are we going to receive our power from? Not from cultural influence and clout. From the Holy Spirit is where we get our power. And that when that happens, we will be God's witnesses. In Jerusalem, all these places, and not just there, to the ends of the earth. President Harrison looks at a denomination that has two million people in it and says, we're toast, we're done, nothing we can do. Twelve guys and their surrounding families, men and women, evangelize the whole world. And I'm promising you it's because they didn't rely on humanly speaking power. It's because they took this seriously. And I'll tell you, just honestly, most days I'm not here. Most days, if you gave me a choice between trying to accomplish the things that are in my own human capacity that don't put me at risk of being a failure or being ridiculed or messing up publicly, I will settle for less. I will settle for human power and I'll settle for our declining cultural influence. But there does come a point when you're out there on the waves, when the boat is sinking around you, where you finally just have to say, Holy Spirit, please show up. Because humanly speaking, I can't do any of this anymore. I can't accomplish my own transformation. I can't force closeness with God. I can't make the impact that I'm wired to desire. I need you and I need you now. Most days I'm standing a few inches deep in the shore wondering why God hasn't miraculously taught me how to surf. And so the answer isn't real comforting. There's not a program. The, the answer, as best as I can tell, is to throw ourselves out there and pray God doesn't let us drown. It's to take something, to look at the cultural decline of of the church and to say, hey, maybe let's try and start something new. Maybe let's do a tiny church movement out of St. John where we actually invite people to have spiritual conversations about Jesus in their own homes with their own friends and their own connections. And that's a hard thing to ask. Even Christians don't always want to do that with other Christians. but, But what would it be like to invite other people that aren't already believers into your home and have meaningful spiritual conversations with them. That feels like drowning. But I'm going to try it anyway. And maybe it'll fail. And what I'd ask of you this morning is is to look at this and, and to say, is this what you want for your life? Do you want to have closeness with God? Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to make an impact on this world that's meaningful and that lasts not just for your lifetime, but for eternity? Well, then I invite you to join me, throwing ourselves out in the waves, desperately praying for the Holy Spirit to show up. And my hope for myself is that God hasn't let me down yet. And I don't think he'll let you down either. But there's only one way to find out. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord God Almighty, I thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us, your people. And I now ask you to be true to your promise, 
to come down with Holy Spirit power, to provide us the fuel source that we need to make the impact that you have called us to make, to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. I ask that you would remove every obstacle on every person sitting here this morning, every fear, every doubt, every obstacle of respectability, that you would take all of them away, soften and open their hearts to receive your spirit in power to do the work that you've called us to accomplish. Pray all this in your holy and powerful name. Amen.